Hello, everybody. How are we doing? We are back. It is a new week. It is a new episode. Yeah, we have returned. We had another hiatus last week. We were trying out this thing. I feel like, Laura, we might as well be like, you know, break that fourth wall. We've been like, we're still trying to figure out the vibe of the podcast. So like, should we be weekly? We were alluded to this all last week. Or sorry, in our last episode. Should we be kind of a fortnightly thing? And I think what happened with last week, Laura, you were away. So that wasn't ideal. And then also there kind of wasn't really a lot that we wanted to discuss. And I think we've both fallen onto the opinion that we would rather have a much leaner podcast and discuss things that we both want to be talking about and feel like we should be discussing, as opposed to kind of creating stories that neither of us care about and probably you guys wouldn't be particularly interested to hear us talk about. Exactly. I think we've kind of gotten to a stage, guys, where obviously we want to provide an episode every week because we enjoy doing this and it's nice to kind of have that routine but there's no point in us releasing an episode that's just going to be watered down if the content isn't there so I'm sorry that you have to miss us for two weeks but at least we are delivering on that good grounded content yes having said that I think I also want to be upfront and let everyone know that we will not be discussing Endgame this week because we haven't all seen it. The person who hasn't seen it will remain <laughs> anonymous. Um, but certain person is going to go see it this weekend. So we'll be able to review it next week. So we are definitely going to have an episode next week. So look out for that. Whether it's just going to be an endgame thing, probably not. But it's going to be super endgame focused because, like, you know, it's pretty much the biggest entertainment story happening right now. So that's something that I also want to just let everyone know that because at the end of the podcast, you might be like, why haven't they talked about, like, the biggest movie ever? And, you know, we're going to get there. Yeah, so I apologize, guys, for the fact that it is on me this week. Yes, it is, Alex Laura. was, yes, okay, I was going to try to say that Alex trying to, you know, save me from the blight of this, but no, he's just throwing me into the bus now. But look, at least you have something to look forward to next week, and it will be endgame heavy. Just going to forewarn now, there's going to be some Sean Mendes peppered in there because we're getting new music on Friday. But look, you guys have more to look forward to, and that's what matters. And I also have the film to look forward to in terms of seeing it. And obviously Sean Music. But look, that's next week's episode. Let's get back to this week. Okay, so I guess we're going to start off with, you alluded to Sean Mendes, we're going to run with some music. And Taylor Swift returned this week, which I very proudly predicted. Okay. <laughs> predicted. So my prediction was wrong, but I still predicted it and it still came through. And it might have been you know a month off but that's just you know it was something to do with like the american dates the way they do dates is something i don't know it's just a it got lost in translation i think you know but we're here we have the song it was released last friday it's called me featuring very annoyingly i must admit <gasps> no oh sorry okay oh my god okay what? i'm just gonna really quickly okay this is to alex and everyone i will not have anyone pop off against brendan yuri i adore him so, oh no. so Alex, just choose your words carefully is all I'm going to say. <laughs> I think I'm being cast as the villain. I thought I was going to be the good cop in this podcast, but I feel like it's definitely like with Khalid in the last episode and I feel like here we are again. What I was going to say was that I find it very annoying and this is a Taylor Swiftism. I feel like it's very Taylor Swift. That instead of just saying featuring Brendan Urie, it was featuring Brendan Urie from Panic of the Disco. And I'm like, okay, we like, I, as far as I know, I know Panic of the Disco is technically a band, but like he is Panic at the Disco. Like there is no Panic at the Disco without Brendan Urie. So you know, I don't. If there was no need for the two names. I was like Taylor, come on! Like it's just like the longest like title ever. It's like it goes on and on. I'm like, oh my god! Like just give it a rest. But anyway, we have the song. Laura, seeing as you're uh, a fan of this Brendan guy, 
let's hear it. Like, what's your opinion? What are your thoughts? And also, because you're not much of a Taylor Swift fan. No. Okay, the one thing I will say, I have to agree when it comes to the whole Brendan Urie from Panic! The Disco. I'm kind of like, look, we know who he is. Like, the adding in what band he's from is a bit redundant. And I'm kind of like, Taylor, please. But look, that aside. So... Yes, I'm not a massive fan of Taylor's music. It's now, in fairness, it has to be said that she is like the princess of pop because she definitely knows how to write a song that is going to be super successful on radio, that her fans are going to enjoy. And now she is a good lyricist. Like, for instance, what I like about me is the fact it is a fun song and the message of it is great because it's all about, like, I'm trying to even, like, pull some lyrics kind of off the top of my head. Um... One second, I'll, I'm trying to remember what I was like, because all I have in my head is the ooh, ooh, ooh part in my head. And Which is definitely the, like, that's the hook, isn't it? Like, I feel like that's yeah. the bit that everyone is singing and it's, that is the kind of bones of the song. It relies on that hook. It does. So that's the thing. Like, she knows how to kind of really in, she knows how to get a song in your head. And I do like the message of it. It's, it's like, she's basically saying that, like, no one else is ever going to be her and that kind of no matter what she won't be able to get with anyone who's the same as her and she's just kind of like going for that whole like individuality like unique thing will always stand by this though I don't think she's a good singer she doesn't have strong vocals she's just an average singer not that there's anything wrong with that like pretty much majority of people within pop music kind of are average like it's kind of hard to get that unique voice going these days so that's for me I think why I don't tend to listen to her music that often because I very much enjoy people who just have very strong vocals and for me she doesn't but I have to say I like the message of the song I think the lyrics are cute like it's fine um it's not her best song that I think she's released out of say for instance her like okay assuming so this is going to be from the newest album and then go let's go back to the other two albums these three I wouldn't say this is going to be like the best or the one that you're going to be that she'll be remembered for over the past couple of years and then I love Brendan, but I feel like, so he's an incredibly strong vocalist. I feel like his vocals really weren't utilized in that whole song. Okay. I, I don't have any real opinion on Panic! The Disco. I was actually a fan of Panic! The Disco when they first came out, which was like, what, 2007, I feel like they really have been around a long time, but I find his voice slightly annoying. If I'm honest, it's kind of very theater to me, not, using that uh, not to drag your profession or anything or but it's very kind of like show many and I guess that can be attractive but uh, I love pop music and sometimes it comes across it's a bit I don't know I can just find his vocal a little bit grating probably the same way that you can find Taylor's vocal a bit grating I would picking up on that I would agree as much as I'm a fan of Taylor I think she has a good voice I think when she pushes her voice into this kind of pop realm she her like you know she grew up learning how to sing with a guitar and I think sometimes that gets lost in a lot of her new melodies and I think when you hear her sing with like a guitar or with a you know just a piano her voice is quite good but it's definitely not like it's not it's not gonna break any records it's not I wouldn't necessarily call her like a strong vocalist I think she like you said the lyricism is what really attracted me to her and what really has kind of allowed her to have this great career because at the basis of it even though you might think that she's annoying or you might think that her voice isn't great or that she's overexposed but usually the lyrics are kind of undeniable and the song craft is pretty impressive however okay I don't want to say I don't like the song because it's not that I don't like it 
but it's not what I listen to Taylor for. And I think something like it, it okay, it's similar to Shake It Off, but I think everything that it tries to do, I prefer Shake It Off. So I prefer everything about that song over me. I also think it's very movie soundtrack to me. Like if she came out next week and was like, um, this is for the new Trolls movie, I'd be like, okay, Taylor, I understand. I get it. I'm there. It reminds me of Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. For anyone who doesn't know, I fucking hate Justin Timberlake. And that's not a good comparison to make in my world. I think the lyrics are really like simple and childish and the melody is good. And the hook, like we were talking about, is really good. But I think you're totally right. This isn't going to be one of her best songs. It's not her best song. But I also am allowing it because I don't think it's supposed to be. I think like she released it knowing that it's going to be like anything she releases is going to be a hit. You know what I mean? Like everyone, the name alone, she gets a lot of interest. And I think it's very catchy. It's very radio friendly. And it's like, it's competing for number one in the UK with the new Stormzy song. And I think it's number two in the US behind Lil Nas X still, who just released a new remix of that song. So, you know, there's top she's going to kind of, she might react to that because Taylor, she always has her finger on the pulse. She's well aware of chart positioning and the general reaction. And, the general reaction to the song has been very lukewarm. I think other than the diehard fans who are just going to love anything she puts out, the fan base is even a little bit disappointed because they're all the, like those great lyrics that we all love from a Taylor song. There, there, are, there aren't really any. I get what you mean when you say that you like the message. It's very, you know, it's a happy song, which is good. But there isn't anything... There isn't anything particularly Taylor about that song to me. It's kind of generic. And... That would be my thoughts on that song. But still happy to have her back in my Spotify. Yeah, like the one thing that you said there that I am definitely, definitely, definitely backing is the whole when you're like, oh, like had she said that this was going to be the the featured song from Trolls or something like that, I was like, oh my God, that's it exactly. Because as you're saying, it is quite generic in fairness. And I do think that a lot of her songs do kind of touch on a generic element just in kind just in terms of like they kind of play to her image very much like for instance her image that's been cultivated the past few years she writes music that kind of also backs that up which no which is very clever like she knows how to market herself you have to give her that and but for this it's just like I feel like it's yeah it's just it's it it's there's nothing special about it I'm kind of thinking back to what you were saying with the whole Khalid um series of comments last week my poor little heart (laughs) my poor little heart my poor little Khalid but you were saying how in time you don't think that um say for instance the three singles that he's released from the album that that they won't be remembered in say like five ten years times uh five as like say for instance as what we could look back on music from ten years ago and be like oh my god these songs how you wouldn't do that with Khalid me is the same situation for me like to be honest if I even in a month's time, I might not remember it. It's it's very underwhelming. Again, I like the message. It's happy. It's clappy. It's good. Like, it's just, you know, it's just a little kind of a radio tune that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll keep that on. I won't switch over. But there's nothing about it that makes me relate to it or kind of draws an emotion from me. I'm kind of just like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a grand song, but it doesn't excite me for her album, for example. And I feel that the first single you release from a new album really should grip you yeah I would agree however she does have a tendency on releasing sort of questionable choices as lead singles I think she 
I think she knows the album is going to sell well. So I think sometimes she likes to put out a kind of quirky radio kind of friendly hit. Like, like Shake It Off, for example, that like the soundscape of that song, there is no indication from that song that what we were going to get with 1989 was going to be this kind of like synth heavy pop masterpiece. There is no indication there. Even look what made you, look what you made me do. Like there's no like, OK, maybe the, the aesthetic is definitely there. And actually on that point, I think the video is really good. It's really fun. It's really colorful. Um, so I'm still holding out hope for the new album. And I, I, you know, Reputation wasn't my favorite. I still enjoyed it. It wasn't anywhere near the highs of Red or 1989, but it was still a fairly decent pop album. So I'm hoping for the same again. And hopefully the next single we get, which I think will come sooner rather than later, because like I said, she's always got her hand, her finger on the pulse, sorry. And she'll be aware that people are maybe a little bit kind of like underwhelmed, as you said, and that will annoy her. So I think she might come for wigs the next time. I think so. The one thing that I will say about her that I find kind of redeeming of kind of all of her qualities, because there there are a fair few things about her that can annoy me, per se, but the one thing that I think is brilliant about her is her dedication to her fans. I love the fact that she's so, say for instance, when I say active on social media, she might not be active in terms of like expressing her opinions or expressing views on the world or kind of that type of active, but like she's on Tumblr, she's on Twitter, she's on Instagram and she goes and she looks at fan accounts and she looks into what her fans are listening to and liking and she takes cues from that. But I like the fact that she wants, like she wants that connection with fans and then she does those kind of like release parties with fans where like they'll do listening parties and everything. That I think is a brilliant artist, a person who's trying to make a connection with their fan base and trying to grow from it. I really, really, really appreciate that especially because it's like her giving back to the people who helped make her who she is today. So that's one thing that I will say about her that I do really like. Yeah, I would agree. So I guess we can kind of wrap it up. I feel like we're, we've both probably fallen on like a five, a six out of 10. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I, for one, I'm still optimistic. You're a little bit less so, but all I'm saying Taylor is just like, bring it, bring it the next time. Yeah. I look forward to seeing what happens and where we'll go with it. But I'm, 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 I'm just underwhelmed at the moment and I'm ready to be whelmed. So let's see what happens. Okay. So moving on from Taylor Swift, we're going to skirt skirt over. What's the ocean between America and the UK? I don't even know. <laughs> the, the Atlantic? Pacific? Oh, the Atlantic. Of course it is. Yikes. Edit this out. And we're going to talk about a royal scandal. I don't know if I've ever thought we discuss the royals but it's everywhere i'm of course talking about will allegedly i must stress shooting on kate with her longtime school friend yeah so i don't know what if like i'm just so gobsmacked by this whole situation so for anyone who hasn't heard about it essentially what has been about in the the L headlines in the past few days is the fact that well the alleged fact that Prince William who's been married to Kate now for I think they've been married maybe seven or eight years or something along these lines they have three kids together they've been together for around 15 years they were together when they were in college and everything and apparently he's been having an affair with one of her oldest friends and I'm just kind of like what yeah it's very 
I, I like okay first of all I will just let everyone know that I as I've said before in the podcast I'm quite a factual person and this to me there are no facts there are no like sources there's no it just seemed to have come out of nowhere it basically stemmed from the fact that she took her self and the three kids from whatever home that they stay in I actually don't know is it Windsor I don't know wherever it's in in Norfolk anyway okay yeah and took them to London and there was just basically from that was like that this whole scandal erupted so I kind of fall in the camp that I just don't know whether it's true or not and until I know whether it's true or not I haven't really invested too much emotional repercussion into it because I'm just kind of like first of all I'm I don't dislike the royal family so I mean I don't I hope that like Republicans don't come for me but (laughs) it's not I just don't really care it's like I you know when the weddings are stuff around I like to see what everyone's wearing and like what the situation is but that's probably speaks more to my kind of like of news more so than my like of the royal family but until I get some type of official statement which we're not going to get he's not going to come out and say well he will have to I guess make a statement if Kate decides to call it quits but until then I'm kind of like yeah I mean I just I I'm like is it true we don't know is it real we don't know but I hope it's not it kind of feels like unnecessary drama and also I'm like I think Kate seems like a really really nice lady and Will seems like a nice man and that you know Princess Diana obviously raised him well and that's always been the kind of narrative we've heard and I hope that for her sake and for her memory that that's you know saved and this comes out that's a like that it's total bullshit but I don't know how I feel about the whole thing I I just hope it's not true I guess yeah I agree so my whole thing is I'm not going to start really paying heed to the whole story more than what I've already heard just because well first of all as you said we've literally no facts and the reality of us finding out anytime soon any concrete facts facts or getting a statement is very unlikely just because the royals like they don't want anything that would possibly besmirch their reputation they're they kind of avoid it like the plague but the one thing for me is in particular so there's like just there's a, a load of reasons obviously why i would hope that it's all a lie because obviously like they've been together years it would be incredibly sad if this was true and it would be such a breach of trust and then for the kids to have to grow up in the media and have to deal with this and then it's just kind of ever making a comparison between prince william and then his dad prince charles because of course charles cheated on diana then when they when they were married and then it's a case of like oh are we going to have another camilla situation it's like oh we're actually will wanted to be with someone else and then they divorce and the next thing you know there's going to be a new queen like there's just all of this kind of repetition of things that people feel really sour over what happened kind of with prince philip prince philip not prince philip with prince charles and diana and then there's just the fact that oh it's just it 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 would be a very sad thing and for this to be so blown like blown out of proportion in the media like say for instance i was looking into my research for this today and one of the news lines for from today's news was the fact that apparently Meghan markle and prince harry have unfollowed Prince William and Kate on Instagram. So that must mean that it's true. And I'm like, oh my God, people will do literally anything just for a headline. They'll find the smallest little piece of like inconsequential news to back up a point. And it's just so stupid and it's hurtful. And I don't understand why people have to feed into this culture. 
Well, actually, I think that's quite interesting if they have unfollowed them because it would be very interesting to know. Okay, look, Prince Charles obviously was with Diana and now he's with Camilla Parker Bowles, but he got away with that because Diana died. But like the royal family, they're not for divorce. They're not a fan of divorce. So I don't know where this leads them. If it's true, let's assume for the next minute or so that it's true. And Kate doesn't want to be queen anymore. She can't, as far I don't maybe I'm totally wrong with her, but they, I don't think they'd allow her to divorce. Or if they would, then what happens with, like, the kids are still, would still be heirs? Does Will still become the king? Does Will abdicate, like, um, I can't remember his name, but the, like, uncle who, remember, he divorced and then married, or no, sorry, he wanted to marry an American divorcee. And yes, it that was, was um, Elizabeth's uncle. Yes. What's his name? Do we remember him? Um... No, but... no, uh, yeah. we don't need to. Anyway, it, yeah, it probably it's probably a Henry one. or one of them. I think it's Edward. I think I, I think, found it, is it. I think it's, it is. It is. It is Edward. Yeah. Um. Oh, I'm like a royal historian, but they basically he abdicated his throne because he wanted to marry a divorcee. So they do not look at divorce lightly, and I just think it'd be very interesting. Megan and how are you unfollowing the two of them? I think that's actually. I'm not saying it's news, but it's definitely strange. It's definitely strange, but at the same time, for people to kind of feed into it so much, I think is a bit ridiculous because obviously, think keep in mind, particularly, so the two of them are so well trained now as to how they should be portraying particular things to the media because obviously the smallest thing like this is going to be picked up and it's going to be turned into this massive farce of an event. So sure people can argue like oh well them doing this says something but at the same time like i don't know i just feel like people are reading into this far too much it's just a case of like oh why like especially for instance like the royals kind of they don't have the same the same freedom that other celebrities would have in terms of keeping their life private because some people choose to pursue a particular career that they know is going to bring them notoriety and put them in the public sphere for instance will was born into being a royal and of course with everything that happened between his parents and his mom passing and everything he was always going to be in the public eye and then kate kind of knew what was going to be happening obviously when she married in and the same with megan but i find it just particularly sad like these people never had a chance at ever having a proper private life and now it's just all of their like dirty laundry is just being splashed across the news and we don't know what's real and what's not. And I think, no, I'm just basing off the fact from like what I've read about Kate and the kind of person that she seems to be like presenting herself as. I feel like she wouldn't want to divorce. I feel she'd want to stick it out more for her kids than to like be queen, to be perfectly honest. I think she just wouldn't want to have a broken home for three young children like they're all under the age of six as far as i'm aware but mm. it's just it's just such a sad situation yeah it's definitely sad and i i've seen people on twitter and all like making fun of it like i don't think it's i know like they're english and we're supposed to hate english but it's not a particularly funny situation i just think it's kind of it is a sad time and uh like look they're no matter what happens kate and the kids will be fine you know what i mean like financially speaking so they don't have that to worry about but you know it's still an emotional thing that's happening and will cause some emotional turmoil for those kids and for Kate and for her family and for Will so yeah I mean look until I get some type of you know like 
definite proof. I'm kind of disinterested. And I kind of just don't really care, but hope it's not true. Yes, exactly. We hope for their sakes that it's not true and then it's just a load of hoop and that this will all blow over very soon. The use of the word hoop, I literally was transported back into like 2011 and I was like, oh. like it was literally like I could feel my soul like just reverting back to that time. You are very welcome, sir. Yeah, thanks, Eva. So, I mean, I guess we can leave it there. I don't know. I don't have anything else important to say, or I don't know about you. No, I don't think so. I think there's not much else to kind of like, obviously, we'll kind of stay on top of it, guys, in case there's any developments that we think will be worth noting in the future. But I think that for me, it's pretty much a closed, a closed book on that, that one. I'm just kind of, I'm just so sick of, of, I get, I get sick in the media sometimes. And I don't like the fact that when it comes to stuff like affairs or anything like that, that people just are like, oh my God, ooh, entertainment, interesting. And they have to jump on it. It makes me sad. I'm kind of like, there's better things to be talking about in the world. So calm your jets, newspapers. And we're back. So we're now going to move on to, just before we are going to talk about Game of Thrones, we will give you your warning like we did last time if you want to knock it off, you don't want any spoilers. But we did want to just discuss spoiler culture in general before getting into that. And I just wanted to hear and like air our opinions. Laura, let's hear yours. Like, What is your opinion on spoiler culture? Like, When is it acceptable to post spoilers online? When is it acceptable to get angry when someone does do that? What's our thoughts? Would you ever post spoilers about a TV show online? All of the above. Okay, so I like that we're discussing this because especially with so many things at the moment, so say for instance like Game of Thrones being one of the biggest TV shows of all time and then with Endgame happening and all of these things are happening at the moment that are huge and they're all over the Twitter sphere. They're popping up in the news everywhere. They're on the radio. Like there's no escaping all of these massive franchise funded television and film things in particular say for instance so there's no escaping them for me personally when it comes to spoiler culture so i remember anyone who any who listens to the podcast here in europe anyway you all know that we have to be either up at the crack of dawn watching it three or four in the morning when it goes live from north america or else you watch it maybe at some stage on the monday when you have a chance because it airs late on a sunday night in north america so one thing that really annoyed me this week, I didn't watch Game of Thrones when it came out at like three in the morning here in Ireland. Instead, I was going to watch it on the Monday when I had a chance. I woke up on the Monday. I was going about my day. I was commuting and I was on the bus and I went to open Instagram just to have a little scroll as one does. And the first thing that popped up on my feed was Sophie Turner, the actress who plays Sansa. She had posted a photo of Alfie Allen and she had said, Alfie Allen slash Theon, what a good man. And for anyone who has seen the show, um, who's seen like this week's episode, you'll understand the reference entirely. But, and I'm just going to hope, guys, that you took that from pretty much when we started talking about spoiler culture, you'd understand that spoilers would here follow. So apologies in advance, but just so you know, there'll be spoilers for probably things in general. So don't be given out. But anyway, so from that whole thing, I was like, okay, well, great. Now I know that Theon's dead. And I was so mad Yikes. because for me, the reason why I got angry 
so Sophie Turner, for people who don't know, she's British, she's English, and I'm kind of like, you know what time that broadcasts in Europe. Or like for people who cannot watch it immediately because say, for instance, they either don't have access to a link to watch it or else they just don't want to be up at the crack of dawn watching the episode. And you've now ruined one of those surprises by posting that. And so that just so that bothered me because I was kind of like, look, can you not can you not give people even a day to catch up, like give a few hours and then I remember seeing Lena Headey, who plays Cersei. She posted a photo of Maisie Williams, who plays Arya. And she said, that's my girl. So I didn't know what was to come. And I cannot wait for us to discuss Game of Thrones, Alex. But there was another, there was an Arya plot point that I was like, wait, hold on, what? So thankfully it didn't ruin anything. And to be perfectly honest, even when I then watched the episode, I didn't put the whole, all the puzzle pieces together. But that, so... For me, when it comes to spoiler culture, and especially with Game of Thrones at the moment, I think you need to give at least 24 hours from the airing time for people, like, like for people not to say anything. Actually, oh my God, now that I remember it. So because I have our podcast's Twitter, at ITTO Podcast, for anyone who wants to follow us on Twitter, I have that on my phone as well as my own personal account. And... Sometimes I get notifications from people that I follow. They come up on my phone for, I don't know what the whole algorithm is that Twitter decides who, who's going to show up on my phone. But Alex, you had posted something. You tweeted <gasps> saying, come through, Melisandre. And, like, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what? And I was so angry because I was like, why the hell has this come up on my phone? I wasn't angry at you because I was like, look, let him do his thing, whatever. <laughs> I was so angry about the fact that it came up on my phone because I was like, what the heck did Malisandra do? So for me, I think people need to refrain from possibly spoiling anything for minimum 24 hours after something airs. I think that is a fair time frame. I think that gives everyone the chance to... You know, like you said, now I was up at 2am to watch the show, so it didn't really affect me. I was involved and that's part of the buzz. I would recommend it if anyone, okay, we have three episodes left and if there's any big Game of Thrones fans out there and you're on Twitter, I would really recommend that you, I know it's a bit of an effort, but stay up, watch it. 2am on Sky Atlantic. And I said Atlantic very strangely there. Did you hear me say it? Weird. No, I thought, I thought it worked. No, I kind of, I was like, I don't know. Anyway, I'll listen back. But, um, it's very, very fun to watch it live and then you get to involve yourself in the Twitterverse. Now, you're lucky that that tweet was the only tweet because I actually fully sent, had a tweet, it's in my draft still, where I had the Arya scene at the end with the Night King. I didn't do it now. I saw someone else's Twitter. Um, against the Titanic music. And it was so funny. So I had, I had quoted it or I tweeted the video and then I was literally about to press tweet and I said, oh my God, no, I can't do that because this is a huge spoiler. And I caught myself and I took myself out of it. I was like, don't do that. And I feel like there is definitely lines. I feel like me saying come through Melisandre is me. Like, I feel like you didn't know what I was referring to until you saw the episode. So for me, that's not really a bad thing. Whereas had me tweeting a video of literally the finale of this episode or the climax, like that's a full on spoiler. I also think though, that like, look, if, like everyone knows when this airs, especially on Twitter, Game of Thrones, it should be muted. If you're not, if you don't want to be spoiled, mute it. Like grow up and mute that shit because you're going to be spoiled otherwise. However, I think something like Instagram 
I don't know why people are posting spoilers to Instagram anyway. I feel like Twitter, you know what you're getting. When you go onto Twitter, you know it's going to pop up. You know you're going to get spoiled. You know it's going to be there. But for something like Instagram, there's this whole other world where you want to be looking at, like, bloggers talking about their new, like, quinoa re- recipes. So, like, you don't necessarily want it to be spoiled in that way. So Instagram is weird for me. But I feel like if you log into Twitter, and even the 24-hour thing is a really nice rule, I would say 12 hours because I just want to tweet about things and then I've seen them anyway. So I feel like it's unfair for us all to be, like, silent because people aren't as dedicated to the show as for example I was so I'm all for that but I also think you log into Twitter you you're asking for trouble Instagram I think should be a safe space but Twitter that's where the supporters go to live like that's where they go to have their fun so I think the 24-hour rule would be really nice but I don't think it's realistic and personally as someone who nearly tweeted spoilers it's it would be very hard for me to not talk about Game of Thrones for 24 hours Something like Endgame, I think, you know, y- you take the weekend maybe by Monday, by even, it, I think it released on the Thursday maybe. So you had Thursday, Friday, maybe by Saturday, then you can start to say things. But like, it's a much more taxing thing to go to the cinema, especially for a three-hour movie. It's, it costs money. It's a long time. There's only certain hours that you can go to the cinema and there's only certain times that you can go see the movie at. People have work, jobs, college. So something like a movie, I feel like it's much harder to see it as soon as possible. And there probably should be a longer time frame. But for something like a TV show, I think 24 hours is probably going to be the max that I would be able to hold my silence. I, yeah, pretty much all of that, I completely agree with. So I do think, now, obviously it's never going to be like a an, an undisputed rule that we give 24 hours between tv shows i it's just for me something that bothers me because say for instance what's even more annoying i was awake when game of thrones aired but i couldn't watch it so that type of stuff annoys me then because i was like okay right i can't go near twitter because as you said twitter is the breeding ground of theories and sorry i know that's also reddish but i'm going for twitter here because i would be a part of twitter as opposed to reddish but it's the breeding ground of theories and opinions and memes so there's literally no escaping spoilers. So like really people need to get over themselves and get off of Twitter if that's their problem. So say for instance, I tweeted the other day saying how I won't be able to see Endgame until this coming weekend because I just, I don't have time because as you are saying, like, look, it's hard to be able to get out of the cinema and find hours that suit, particularly for such a long film. And I had said in my tweet, I said, if this gets ruined for me, I will be enraged. And I had people replying saying, yeah, good luck. You're going to want to stay off Twitter because I've already seen a handful of things on my Twitter. But thankfully, I don't understand the context because I haven't seen the film yet. And none of them have been like super outright spoiler spoilers. So thank God for that. But it's just it's so frustrating. The fact that some people just do not respect that others might not have time to get to something and then they just create this snowball effect where they start they they put up a spoiler and people are like oh yeah no, now i can do it and then it just turns into this massive mountain of a snowball and it's just hurtling at you down a hill and you're gonna get crushed by all the spoilers and it just it makes me upset so for me when it comes to like spoiler zones i think with a show particularly as massive as game of thrones with anything like that I think there should be a 24 hour window of calm where people are just kind of like, no, like I need to let people catch up. 
And then say, for instance, with a film, I don't want to go as far as to say a week because I think that is unrealistic. I think, as you were saying, say, for instance, if the film is released on a Thursday, and I think at least by Sunday, then people shouldn't put up anything that is outright spoiling the plot line, particularly for like a film like Endgame, which is literally the massive climactic point of the whole like last God what was it 10, 12 years of the Avengers, of the Avengers like series and everything. But that would be my rule. 24 hours for a massive show and then at least four days for a film. That would be it for me. Okay. I respect that. I also think that for me, I tend to try and get into things as quickly as possible and enjoy conversations online about things, about pop culture. This is why we have this podcast because we both like to talk about pop culture and asking me to refrain from things for that long can be an issue but I also think we just need to be a bit respectful and like no one wants a movie that we've been writing years to see or an episode that we've been waiting years to see ruined for them unnecessarily so so yeah so let's just all be a little bit more considerate so having said that we're now going to jump right into spoilers and we are going to discuss the latest episode of Game of Thrones so we've had some issues so hopefully if you didn't want spoilers you already knocked it off but this really is your final warning if you don't want to be spoiled by Game of Thrones knock us off right now it's been lovely we will see you next week for our end game review but yes knock us off because we don't want i don't want the emails i don't want the tweets at me being like oh you spoil game of thrones i don't want that so we're gonna do it so knock it off exactly you guys have been warned and you've been warned thoroughly this is our massive disclaimer beforehand saying here comes massive big old review of episode three so Thank you guys for listening if you are departing, but hopefully you're not because there's just so much, so much to discuss. Very, very, very good episode, in my opinion. This was the Battle of Winterfell. It was the kind of climax of the White Walkers versus the Living. It's what this season has been building up to. In fact, last season was pretty much all building up to this finale, this climactic battle. I'm... I've come out of the whole episode with a very positive feeling. There are some bits that I have some issues with, which we will discuss in due time. But overall, I'm really happy. And just as pure spectacle, this episode was incredible. So by that alone, it's like, you know, it's probably one of the best made episodes of TV ever. So well done to everyone involved. I think there are great moments i think there are some like questionable choices but overall like just crazy good i am so happy with this episode and like to be honest all i can think at the moment is so there's three more episodes to go all i can think is they're going they're having they're going to do something that's going to be better than this and i'm kind of like it's going to be so out of left field because we've all been waiting for this episode now for the past god three seasons of like when there's gonna finally be the battle of winterfell like the massive standoff between the night king and everyone else and it's happened midway through the season so i'm so excited for what's to come but now discussing the actual episode i don't even know where to start because alex you choose a character and i will give you my my part on that because like i don't even know where to begin yeah it is quite an overwhelming episode um i guess 
Well, let's start with the really positive stuff. Aria, tell me your thoughts. Are you happy that it was Aria that did the deed? Oh Are my god! You, okay. Like, is it believable so, to you? Tell me. I'm an Aria stan. I really, really, really love her as a character. I think her character arc has been brilliant. There was a time now when she was training with the like faceless man. I can't remember his name, but that season I was just kind of like okay I'm a little bit over her she's a bit bit kind of like eh. but no she's completely just redeemed herself she's amazing and I love her so I will not hear anything negative against Arya you can slide into whatever DM you want and I will block you anyway so what I loved was when okay so god there's just so much to say so first of all she was an absolute badass assassin when she was taking on so many of the whites by herself outside before and like her weapon got destroyed and then she started freaking out and she had this really natural reaction to being chased by zombies because a lot of you won't know i have this really 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 irrational fear of zombies so this episode was actually quite difficult for me to watch because i it's this it's um it's like the sounds that zombies make as well like that like wah, 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 like that I, like, I don't know I, just, I can't i can't like it, it makes my skin crawl so when that was happening I was like, oh my god, like, I feel for her, she's being chased by zombies, this is awful. And then, oh my god, the scene of her in the library as she's trying to get through the library, and she's underneath the table, and then that white kneels down to look for her, and she's not there, and then she has to, like, slice the throat of the other white, and I was like, oh my god, like, I was, I was freaked. So, Arya was doing brilliant things the whole time, and then after her kind of freak out, and she gets saved by Bark and the Hound, and she's in that room with Melisandra. When Melisandra was having that dis- like this that discussion with her saying, she's like, I told you how you would close the eyes of brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. I thought she was just giving her a pep talk to be like, look, you're stronger than this. You're better than this. Get out there and fight. Never in my wildest dreams would I have expected that pep talk to lead to, oh yeah, you're the one that's going to kill the Night King. Okay, so I actually am going to toot my own horn here a little bit. And that in the group chat that we have for all us like diehard fans, y'all know who you are. When Melisandre repeated, that's actually, she says this, that same thing to Arya when she sees her in season three. So when she repeated it and she said, blue eyes, I just need to, like the minute she said it, I was like, Arya's going to kill the Night King. And I felt like when you see her, then she kind of storms off. I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I think therein lies a little of the disappointment I had. I think just overall, we're obviously both very happy with it, but I'm going to start to maybe just pick it apart a little bit because I don't think, you know, anyone wants to listen to us gushing over this for the next 12 minutes. But I would have maybe liked a more, I'm happy that Arya did it, but I think it could have been a really cool moment to have maybe, first of all, for Bran to do fucking anything would be great. (laughs) Second of all, maybe like some type of fight and then at the end, Arya like swoops in and she kills him. I'm here for that. I think it was a little bit like we didn't really get to see him, the Night King that is, like just like, okay, it's badass when Danny um, Dracarys is him and he's just kind of like meh and turns around and walks away and he's not bothered by it. That was pretty cool. But we didn't see him like kick ass very much. Even when he was on the back of the dragon, it was kind of like, this is really cool. But, you know, another issue, I think, just to, I think, segue in, so we've moved on from, like, the climactic battle. There wasn't really much of a fight in the end, featuring Liking. Also, it's it, it, how this episode is shot, to me, there are some slightly dodgy moments. 
Oh, there were definite technical issues. Like even just the lighting of the whole episode. Yeah, was I think it was very dark. Very, very dark. Dark to the point where... Now, Game of Thrones has always been dark. Even the trailer for this episode, actually, I remember I watched a lot of YouTube videos that break down stuff like by people who are really into Game of Thrones. And the trailer for this episode, people had to like up the brightness and saturation by like 500%. And then you could pick out details in the sky. Like there was a screen um, with Sansa on the parapets. And when you brightened it all up, you could see the dragons. Now, that's not good art direction. If I have to brighten my screen to see details, then you're not shooting that picture right, in my opinion. And I feel like there was a lot of that. Even the fights, there's a lot of, you know, this is the longest battle in tv and film history that i'm sure everyone is aware now because that was literally the selling point of this episode was that this is going to be battle 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 but in my i love battle scenes it the previous record was the helm deep battle in lord of the rings which is like amazing and in my opinion is a much better battle scene there are very few moments that i actually remember actual fighting because it all kind of melts into one. So the Arya scene that you picked up on is incredible where she takes her little staff and she goes all ninja. Unreal. But there are too many moments where it's one, hard to see who's on the screen. Two, it's hard to see who's like who's where, who like who's swinging, who's hitting, who's getting hit. It's also very hard. Even the dragon sequences, there are it's all shot up very up close. Now, it is by design. This isn't a mistake. It was just like it was designed to be shot up close. Like there are moments where I think it can be kind of panic inducing, which is, I feel like is probably what the intention was that let's shoot this up real close and it's going to feel like you're there. And it definitely does. And the first time I watched it, I was having anxiety attacks over everything because it was just so intense and it succeeds in that aspect. But then I think when you watch it again and again, I think it's slightly, it's just a niggle. It doesn't take away from the episode for me anyway. I still think it's a great episode. I think it's a gorgeous episode. There are some moments in this episode that are like the shot where um, the dragon, Danny and John fly up in their dragons above the clouds and are in the, like basking in the moonlight is stunning. And there are a couple of absolutely gorgeous shots. The Dothraki charge with um, the emblazoned swords, Melisandre lighting the trench. These are all incredibly visually like wow like wow moments so there are some great moments but then there are also times when you know it might be like Brienne and Jamie fighting and I can't see what's happening here guys and it's not okay that you're expecting me to change the settings of my tv so that I could see your tv show exactly and for me what annoyed me most about it so I do think that there was definite editing issues because as you said like why should a person have to like change the saturation or the brightness by like 10,000% to see these fine details, like just to have it lit well. Because we've seen so many battles in the show now as well. And as you said, it's quite a dimly lit show anyway, because obviously they're trying to keep it naturalistic and apply the lighting rules as to what would have happened if this was like real life. But for me, one of the things that annoyed me was that afterwards, I then had to Google to make sure it's like, I was like, who died episode three because I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss a death because it was so dimly lit that it was very difficult to see who's actually gone and I had to double check to make sure that like in my head I knew exactly who had died and because like what if I'd missed one yeah and that's a very you know like we you like we've invested time and emotions and whatever into these characters I want to know if one of them lives or dies and you can be ambiguous by design so for example 
we see Ghost um, running with the charge, but we don't see him come back. But I still, I don't think he, like, that's an ambiguity there. We don't know, is he alive? Is he dead? We don't know. Something like that I can allow, but I can't allow a TV show shooting someone maybe getting hit in the face and then not being able to see it without you going into the settings. It takes you out of the viewing experience and that's not a good thing. Having said that, the episode is still incredible. I loved the moment with Leanna Mormont. I think it's incredible. Her killing the giant. I'm like, yeah, like, get it. I love that. Like, literally having the life squeezed out of her and she still manages to kill this fuck-off giant. I'm like, what a woman. Like, amazing. However... I'm quite sad now over the fact that there's literally no Mormons now to continue the house because she's gone and so is Jorah. Yes, Jorah is the other major casualty. I think that's one thing that also was picked up on. I think we were all expecting a lot more deaths. I, for one, um, like, look, Game of Thrones, you know people are going to die. So I think we could have lost a couple more people. I'm thinking someone like, like, look, I had literally... I was stressing myself out, hoping that Brienne was going to live, and I'm so happy that she is, like, that she's still alive. But someone like Gendry, although Gendry could be, like, maybe carrying on the Baratheon name in the future, so maybe that's his purpose. But, like, people like Grey Worm, Nisande. <gasps> Had Grey Worm died, though. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you care for Grey Worm? Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <gasps> How do you not? Don't say the We better say the word adore. Yes. Oh my god. No, I, I don't care for him. But to me, he's a, he's an expendable character. He's someone that we've grown to love, and this show has programmed us to think that this guy's going to die. And it's the same with Brienne. I thought she was gone. She, you know, she was knighted in the, in the last episode. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, everyone, everyone expected that. Yeah, time's like, up. Okay, a yeah. big emotional moment. Yeah, but we didn't get that. So we kind of the only major losses we have are, well, to me, it's Jorah. Jorah is the big name. That, oh, we've yeah, lost. George, that was the big one because like when you look back on it so Jorah is gone Boric is gone or Boric or however you say his name is gone Beric Beric thank you <laughs> <laughs> close enough um who else is gone who's big now um Liana is gone or it's Liana what's the little Mormon yeah, called again Liana yeah thank Leanna. you Liana um the who else is gone uh, Ed I guess from the Night's Watch is the other like major like someone like Sam even like I'm ready for either, I was ready for Sam or Gilly to die. Either one of the two. I was like, one of them has to die. And here we are, and they're still alive. So it's like, I don't know whether we've just, like, in the initial seasons of the show, have programmed us to think that all your major characters are going to end up dying. And maybe the vibe is a little bit different now, because I remember watching the show and thinking that it was it was unfair to just keep killing characters that we loved off. I've had enough of people who we've invested time in just being cut off and cut down in their prime because like uh, for dramatic purposes but also like the shock value of that wears off quite quickly I feel exactly like, yeah and i'd much rather keep characters that i have actually grown to love i would rather them be alive but i think there are equally now maybe i'm just wrong because i'm shocked that you care or anyone cares that much about gray room but obviously you do and there are people other people who do as well so maybe everyone has left this episode quite happy and at the end of the day this is we're in the final stretch of the show and do we really want to leave any sour tastes in the audience's mouth? Probably not. At this, I do agree with that. I do think, though, that because I am kind of over that whole culture as well of like just killing someone to shock someone. But at the same time, that is what makes good television. I do think, unless in my head, like there, 
the the writing of the show is incredible particularly at the moment like George hasn't written the final book yet so we don't know exactly who he would have killed and when but say for instance so for the actual like showrunners and just the writing of the show unless they have justified keeping who they've kept from this episode because they have some other pinnacle moment that they need to live out before they die then that's okay but if everyone like if if it just kind of like slides into this neutral zone of, oh yeah, well these people have just kind of survived because they were lucky. That'll annoy me because I'm kind of like, well, you could have just, like I feel like so, so heartless saying like, oh yeah, well you could have just killed them. But considering how massive that battle was and how intense and the casual, like the kind of the casualties of like the faceless people who we don't know, I'm kind of like, you could have killed a bigger character as well and had a bigger reaction to the episode because another thing that I really want to ask you about because I'm interested in your opinion what did you think of John's role in the whole episode well I'm actually quite happy with what they did with John I think John is black and white he's the hero of the story and I think it was nice that he he has to share the limelight a little bit here and he doesn't really do a lot I've seen a lot of people critique him and they're like what is he doing because there is a moment for maybe like 20 minutes in this episode where he does seem to be like just sitting on Rhaegal and he's kind of just like looking at the battlefield and seeing what's happening but I've since then remembered that that is the plan the plan was for him and Danny to sit on the sidelines and wait until the Night King comes into view and then they were going to chase him so that's what he was doing there I think is what the intention I think that's what the showrunners are trying to do there was that John is sticking to the plan that his him and his team have decided before that whereas Danny sees her Dothraki horde get demolished and she's like fuck this I can't sit here and do nothing which I think is great I think more so than John I don't really have this episode hasn't changed my opinion of John in any way I think it was nice that he didn't get to kill the Night King that was someone else I think it's you know still he's pretty much our main character so we do spend a lot of time with him but that he kind of was not the main like, no one was really talking about John after this episode. No one was like, oh my God, John Snow, get it. Like, no, that wasn't why. He didn't do anything major. But that's okay. I don't want this series to come about one single person. I don't think it ever is going to end up like that. I think this is a game of Thrones and Thrones plural. And I think it's an ensemble cast. And I think everyone has a part to play. And I really like that idea. It did, this episode, however, change my opinion of Danny a little bit because I think in the last couple episodes, she's been kind of getting a bit mad queenish. I think she came across really well here, both with her willingness to get on the back of Drogon and just go ham because she didn't want to leave her her followers just up to the wrath of the Night King. I think is really, really cool. And I think it reminded us that she isn't just after this throne, that she is a caring person and she cares for these people who follow her and she does want to make the world a better place, which is really good. And a really subtle reminder, I think, it wasn't done, like we weren't told about it and maybe it wasn't intentional, but that's how I read that you know, it was a kind of gentle hint at her past and the person who we've loved or at least I've loved since episode one. We kind of lost her maybe for the last couple of episodes because she has become so kind of, I think she can sense herself. She's getting close to the throne. She gets a bit kind of antsy, but love that for her. And also I think the only way this show got away with such a big battle, having so little major casualties is because the acting is so good when Jorah dies, first of all, I don't really care about Jorah. I think he's kind of melt. But Amelia Clark sells that moment so well when she's cradling him and she's wailing. This is someone who she's literally been with from the start. And you feel that pain. And 
that was the only thing that kind of made me go right okay we didn't lose half the cast which I had prepared myself to have to deal with but we did lose people who matter to the people who are in the world and that is definitely redeeming I think you've hit so many nails on the head there so in terms of the whole John thing the one thing for me is I completely agree like I like the fact that they kind of didn't throw John into the forefront there so say for instance for me Battle of the Bastards was John's like crowning glory as far as battles go like he that w- that was his episode that was us being shown how much of like a warrior he is how much of a great leader he is the sacrifice he is trying to make to kind of make his world of the north a better place so I loved that and but so many people were giving out about the fact like oh well he didn't do anything and he just ran past Sam and why did he spend so much time fighting the dragon why did he get to Bran it's like he was trying to get to Bran he was fighting a dragon like what more do you want from the man like he can't just be like hey dragon I'll be back Let's pick this up in five minutes. Let me just go check out my baby brother and make sure he's okay. And then obviously he has to run past Sam. Like he had to make a decision. So there's a few things that people have been saying to me that have annoyed me. I'm kind of like, look at the like bigger picture here, people. And then for everything to do with Danny, I am so glad that you had said that she has kind of, she kind of did like a bit of a 180 there and went back to kind of the Khaleesi, the Misa that we all fell in love with who we all were backing and kind of got out of this cruel kind of crazy queen that she was kind of heading towards like she went back to showing what like where her heart lies and it's not just with her dedication towards getting to the throne but it's actually towards the people so I was delighted with that and you're when you said like when it comes to Amelia Clark's acting oh my god it's as if she had lost her own family member that she's grown up knowing the past 30 something years it was beautifully acted because her face was just the definition of not even pain but just like you could just see Danny kind of being destroyed from the inside out and then when you see Drogon land behind her and kind of curl up around her as she cradles Jorah that was such a beautiful little image I was like oh my god okay that's so sad because it's like Drogon even knows the significance of the death to her and it was it was very heart-wrenching but so yeah for me like I'm very happy with all of those elements of the show and then the one other one that I loved anyway was down in the crypts Sansa and and like Tyrion's moment like I loved it the whole their, their whole little kind of touching reconciliation of kind of where they've been and who they are now and just the relationship they had. I loved that. Yeah, it was great. There are literally, I think we maybe, or at least I did, plucked out a lot of the negative aspects, but there are so many positives, overwhelmingly positive episodes. There is, like, this is a, like 10 out of 10 episode. It is incredible. It, it, uh, and another, actually something I also wanted to point out, when Drogon kind of flies, like it takes into like fight or flight and flies off and leaves Danny on the ground, and her and Jorah are kind of fighting off the things when she picks up the sword and she goes all warrior queen. Now, okay, it's clunky. She's not a fighter, but I loved the moment of her picking up the sword and she just decided to fight. She wanted it bad. She wanted to live. She wants to survive. And even that was something that we've not really seen from her in a while. And that kind of drive is really, really just admirable. Yes, so admirable. And like, yeah. So I think we're both really happy with the episode. Uh, I think it's one of those episodes that I think that you could pluck out and I think you could show people and 
even they wouldn't get the context obviously but just as a spectacle alone it's incredible and well done and i just can't wait for next week same like i can't wait to rewatch um episode three this weekend before episode four comes up i'm excited it's just this season is living up to everything that i wanted it to live up to and i just cannot wait to see what they're going to do with the last few episodes yes me too so i suppose guys we have reached the end of our episode this week yeah guys so i hope you enjoyed i enjoyed i love anyway discussing all of this type of stuff i love discussing films and music and stories that i enjoy so hopefully you are enjoying it along with us yes definitely i will remind you to please subscribe rate us on the apple podcast app subscribe to us and save us on spotify tell your friends to listen to us follow us on twitter at itto podcast you know have you any suggestions any feedback we're all very open to that and we will be back next week with our end game review and possibly and no and we will discuss Shawn Mendes Laura would not allow us not to which is understandable she is you know all I'm going to say is that if we want an end game review guys we're going to have to discuss Shawn Mendes that is my deal breaker okay that's the compromise so we will be back next week and so this is giving actually this might work out for the best Laura because it's giving everyone time to see end game so now there are no excuses next week you know what's happening. Go and see it this weekend. I've already seen it. It's incredible. Go and watch it. And we will see you next week. See you next week, guys.